0: Um, Some of you may know, and some of you may not know, and some of you may be shocked to know that I went to university. (laughs) I know. Uh, There was a time where I was like, you know, borderline, like, I could even call myself kind of like a nerd. Um, I was one of those cruel nerds, so I thought. Um, Anyway, Uh, however, in university, I, I only went to university to get a piece of paper. I didn't actually go to learn anything. Uh, which is quite sad. I have a massive hex debt with two pieces of paper. (laughs) And um, so in my time, in my time in uni, I very much enjoyed the, let's just call it, the fruits of the world. And one, I I still remember this one um, gathering uh, that uh, was on a Friday night, and it was just this big party in the city. And I don't know if, if you're old enough to know this, it was at a place called Seager World, right? Some of you know, and some of you are like, that is way beyond my time. It was in um, Darling Harbour, Seager World, anyway, it was a big party. And the exciting thing about this party was, it, you know, you, you bought tickets, right? And so, you know, I think we were in first year uni, so we were all really excited to go to this big party, right, in Seeker World. And so what we did, we went, we bought tickets, and we're all excited, you know, and so, you know, there was a group of us, because you don't go to these parties by yourself, because if you do, that's a bit creepy, right. So I bought a group of us got together, we bought the tickets, and then we meet Friday night. And of course, what do you do before you go to a big party? You're gonna have dinner, you gotta make sure you, you know, you line your stomach really nice and well. And then we got together, and then obviously, you know, because we're good Christian people, we prayed for the people that are coming to the party, salvation of their souls. And then we, we got there, and there is like hundreds of people, and we're just so excited. And we're getting this line because you know that the party's good if there's a line. So we're lining up and we're so excited because we're kids, right? It's like, this is party at Seeker World. Anyway, we finally get to the front of the line. And then my friend goes, I've got the tickets. And he pulls out the tickets and gives it to the security guard. Security guard checks our ID because that's what we do in Australia. And then checks our tickets. and, And we're like, great, great. And as soon as we were about to take the next step, the security guard goes, sorry. You can't come in. And we're like, what? You can't come in. And we're like, why? We've, we've paid for our tickets, expensive tickets. You know? We're, we're, you know, we're not carrying anything dangerous. And he goes, you can't get in with your shoes. I said, sorry. And, he goes, and I, I remember this so specifically. He goes, you can't wear dirty shoes in here. I said, dirty shoes? And immediately I was like, how does he know what's on the bottom of my shoes, right? he goes, you have to wear dress shoes. I was like, what are dress shoes, (laughs) right? There was, in my mind, being a very young and naive person, there was shoes. And there was thongs. That was it. That's all that existed in my world, right? And he goes, you can't get in with those dirty shoes. I was just wearing the one pair of shoes that I had that I wore to everything, which were my ASIC sneakers, right? And I was looking at them and he goes, you can't get in with those dirty shoes. And I was like, and all my friends who were much smarter than me, and I had a look at their shoes, right? they were all wearing dress shoes. <laughs> so all my friends are looking at me going, and I was like, you know, you could go two ways, right? If you're the friend, right? They could be like, oh, Steve, you know, we're in this together. If, if he doesn't get in, then we're not going in. But you could see in their face, that wasn't the look they had. The look was, sorry, Steve. <laughs> we'll see you tomorrow. Oh, man, it seems so unfair, right? Now, the question, did I actually get to go in or not? I will leave to later. I'll leave to next week even. I'll leave you in suspense, all right? See, now next week I have to work out how to bring that up in my sermon. I did get in, by the way. I may have gone and bought a pair of shoes. It felt so unfair, but I thought I did everything that I needed to do. You know, I I bought the ticket, you know, I lined up in the line, I showed my ID, and I got there, and I thought, I'm in. And yet suddenly, there was more barriers to this entry. The Bible tells us that the gospel is the good news that Jesus died for man's sin, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Like, when Jesus died on the cross, He says, it is finished. The price was paid. It's done. And we see in the book of Acts that we're in that the gospel has been spreading out of Jerusalem beyond the Jewish people to the non-Jewish people. People are being saved. Miracles are happening. The Holy Spirit is visible in them. And then suddenly, the fun police turn up. And we're in Acts chapter 15 this morning. So let me read. Certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them through them paul so here's the problem all these new non-jewish people are being saved are accepting jesus as their lord and savior are calling themselves christians and then suddenly someone says hey i know that that's great it's great that you love jesus it's great that you accepted him it's great the, the idea that you know you believe that he died on the cross for your sin but If you want to be saved, you have to go and be circumcised. It's not enough just to believe. Now, pause. What is circumcision? This is a dictionary definition. Circumcision is the surgical removal of the skin covering the tip of the penis. Now, that suddenly got a bit awkward, right? I hope that you knew what circumcision was before you turned up this morning. I hope that this was not the first time we were like, what? What is that? Because that's a, that's a whole different sermon. That's a whole different problem, right? If you didn't know what circumcision was. Now, in the Old Testament, God made a special bond with one nation, Israel. One Israel and, and, and two two symbolise this special bond. God made with them a promise, a covenant, that He would be their God and they would be His people. And we see this in Genesis 17. This is my covenant with you and your descendants after you, the covenant you are to keep. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You are to undergo circumcision, and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and you. For the generations to come, every male among you who is eight days old must be circumcised, including those born in your household or bought with money from a foreigner, those who are not your offspring. Whether born in your household or bought with your money, they must be circumcised. My covenant in your flesh is to be an Lasting covenant, any uncircumcised male who has not been circumcised in the flesh will be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. This is why. This is the context of why this person was like, "Hey, if you want to be saved, you need to be circumcised." Every Jewish male was was uh, commanded to be circumcised. This was the Old Testament law, right? According to Old Testament law, to be saved, you needed to have the mark of God's people, and for males, it was circumcision. Now, they're saying to all these non-Jewish people, it's great that you believe in Jesus. It's great that you've you know, put your faith in Jesus, but according to Old Testament law, you also need to be circumcised. Problem, right? So the leader's Paul and Barnabas, and some of the leaders, they go, okay, this is a big problem. We, we need to work this out. Where did they go? They go back to the central church, to the higher-up leaders, to have a conversation. And verse 5. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people, must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and elders met to, to consider this question. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago, God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, We believe that it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved, just as they are. The whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul telling about the signs and wonders God had done among the Gentiles through them. The Gentiles must be circumcised to keep the law of Moses for them to be saved, but Peter gets up and pushes against this and says, yes, that was the Old Testament law. But it was a law that we couldn't even fulfill. Why are we putting this burden on our new believers when the season has changed? What changed? What changed between the Old Testament law and now? It was the entrance of Jesus. The the heart of Jesus was for all mankind, not just for Jewish people. Verse 11, no, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. And Peter tells them about the stories and wonders of all these non-Jewish people being saved, dedicating their lives to God and and the Holy Spirit coming on them. They've seen it with their own eyes. They've experienced it. And they're witnessing it. How God is working in a new way through Jesus. Verse 13. When they had finished, James spoke up. Brothers, he said, listen to me. Simon has described to us how God first intervened to choose a people for his name from the Gentiles. The words of the prophets are in agreement with this as it is written. After this, I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. Its ruins I will rebuild and I will restore it, that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord, who does these things, things known from long ago. It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write to them, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals and from blood. For the law of Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest times and is read in the synagogues on every Sabbath. James, who we think is the head elder of the church, one of the disciples of Jesus, responds by quoting Scripture. Affirming that God's heart would not just be for the Jews but would be for the Gentiles. Verse 19 is my judgment, therefore, that, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. And this is what he suggests. He suggests instead of circumcision, which was the Old Testament standard, he, said, he actually suggests wisdom in the way that they conduct themselves. Instead of pouring water on the work of the Holy Spirit that was being done in the Gentiles, James affirms the new work that God is doing in them. And the leaders of the church agree to this. Send out a letter to the churches and other Christians to affirm this decision. Verse 24, we have heard and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. You are to abstain from food, sacrifice to idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. You will do well to avoid these things. Fare well. Friends, that is called good and holy leadership. The, the issue from the local church goes and gets escalated to the leaders of the larger church who, through wisdom, through the Spirit of God, make a judgment that will ultimately impact the church, the global church, and the future church. Now think about this. Imagine if this ruling had not happened. Imagine they went to Jerusalem and they said, hey, do these guys need to get circumcised? And they were like, yep. They need to get circumcised. Can I tell you, if that was the case, imagine even today, right, that circumcision was mandatory for all males who were getting baptised. All right, who's getting baptised in August? Right, imagine, right, I'm just saying, imagine in August, right, we come out of the pool and it's like, off off to the hospital, buddy, you know, Imagine that ruling didn't happen, right? But at that time, the leaders of the church who were appointed by God made a wise decision that affects the church even today. And this isn't the main point of today's sermon, but it's an important point for us to understand and remember how important it is to have good, holy, and godly leaders who are courageous enough to hear God and make decisions that are best for God and His church. And I'm grateful for the leaders that we have in our church community, our board, who hold this responsibility of oversight in our church. You know, this happens, right? Obviously not you know, questions of circumcision, but, you know, there are questions that come up within the church. Can we do this? How do we do this? Where does this money go? Where does this, you know, ministry happen? And all these questions, they come up and they get escalated to the board. And the board sit and we pray and we think and we discuss around these issues and hopefully make good decisions that play really uh, important roles in our church. And so what I would ask at this point is, please continue to pray for our board. We've got a small board at the moment. Uh, it's myself, uh, David Arn, and then Ansley, who's an intern member, right? It's not a massive board. But the decisions that come up to us, they have big bearings on our church. So please continue to pray for our board, that it would be one that honors God and loves the church. Let's go back to verse 1. Unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. And the response in verse 11, No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. Now, we read this passage, and of course, we have the benefit of having the whole Scriptures that clearly shows us that the work of Jesus came to fulfill the Old Testament law, that we would be saved through Jesus and Jesus alone. There is no other way that we can be saved. There is no other way that we can have the forgiveness of sins. And it's important for us to understand this, that even if we try to be good, try to match the standard of God, we will not even come close. It is only by God's grace that we are saved. And we see this mentioned over and over in Scripture in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by your works, so that no one can boast. 2 Timothy 1, 9, 10. He has saved us. He has saved us. And called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. But it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Saviour, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. It is clear, clear, clear that it is nothing to do with what we can and can't do. We are saved because of what God has done for us, not because of what you can do for God. What you can do for God is a term called salvation by works. That you can work, that you can earn your stance or your status with God. But Scripture says all of us are sinful. None of us meet the standard of God. You can try your whole life, and people do. People try their whole life trying to get right with God, trying to be saved, trying to secure an eternal future by living a good life, living a charitable life. But Scripture says it's not good enough. It will never be good enough. It's only through the work of Jesus on the cross. It's not your performance, It's not about whether you come to church regularly, it's not about how well you prayed, not about how deep your faith is. You did nothing, but you gain everything when you accept Jesus. Now here's the flip side to that coin. In the same way, in the very same way that you are saved by grace and grace alone, the person next to you is also the same. The new person that comes into our church, also the same. They are saved by grace and grace alone through Jesus. You know, this passage got me thinking. In our church, do we put burden? Do we put burdens on people that want to be saved? Right, right, we've been here for nearly 10 years now. You know, someone comes in through the doors. They may not look like us. They, they may not fit whatever mold that you want to think. And Scripture clearly says, you're saved by grace. And we say, hey, come in, welcome, welcome, let's open the scriptures. You're you're saved by grace. But you need to do this course. You need to sit this class. You need to be baptized. You need to serve. You need to give. You need to live this kind of a life. And then you can be saved. And I really had to think, I really had to ponder, are there things in our church or even are there things in ourselves that we put these unholy burdens on other people to go, hey, if you want to be saved, you need to believe in Jesus and X, Y, Z. You know, you need to be saved if you do, 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 whatever it is, right? Do good things in your life. Be a good citizen. You know? Like, why is it that for us, we understand that we're saved only by grace? But when we look at other people, it's grace plus X. How hypocritical it is for us to forget that we had nothing to do with our salvation except receive the love of God. And yet, When we look at others, they need to do more or they need to be more. Here's the thing if you're saved, if you understand that God loved you, that God sent his son Jesus to die for you, and you accept him as your Lord and Savior, from that point, as a response to that, your life will change. You will start serving. You will start spending more time with God. You will start giving. You'll start living other-centered. You will pray. But these are all responses to salvation, not roots to salvation. have to be very clear about this. Nothing we can do, right? And this is the gospel message. Nothing we can do in this life can earn our way into the favour of God. Nothing. You can spend your whole life, you can give, you can serve, you can pray your heart out, but nothing that is inside of us can earn our way to God's favour. The only way is that God came down to us and he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross to pay for that sin. The blood that was shed, that's the penalty that you should have paid. But Jesus did that. And here's the thing, right? If there is anyone, if there is anyone that ever tells you that to be accepted by God, to be saved, is you need to do more than accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, that he died on the cross for your sin. If anyone says that you need to do more or be more to be saved, they're wrong. They are absolutely wrong. That is completely the opposite of what the Scriptures tell us. Sadly, we, we can find ourselves doing this too. You know, So we just can't get over ourselves. That's the problem. You know, I've been going to church for 10 years. You know, I, I know how things are done. You know, when you pray, you know, I saw you praying. Didn't have your hands together. You know, didn't bow your head 45 and a half degrees. You know, I heard you singing, wasn't on tune, you know. oh, I don't know if God will accept that. It's funny, right? When we stand before God, we go, hey, God, I'm so broken. I've got no pieces of my life together. My life is an absolute sham. But you accept me for who I am. And then we tell other people, hey, if you want to be a Christian, you need to shape up. You need to change the way you think. You need to change the way you live your life. Can I tell you, friends, the change will happen when a person truly believes that they are saved. But that change will not lead to salvation. And anyone that says that, (laughs) originally I wrote in my sermon, I must have been really fired up. Sometimes I get really fired up, right? As you may or may not know. I'm a very passionate person, right? But when I I literally I wrote, if anyone says that, punch them in the face. Don't do that by okay. They're wrong. They are wrong. That is not the message of the gospel. We are so grateful when we read this passage in Acts 15 that the leadership of the church understood clearly what God was doing. And I wonder sometimes whether we may have forgotten this very simple truth that you and I are saved by grace alone. It's all God's work, not not you and me. Friends, this passage is so significant to us, especially all the men. (laughs) So great, so grateful. Thank you, disciple James, for making that decision, you know. But it's such an important reminder to us that we get to freely accept the gift of grace, the gift of God, that regardless of who we are, regardless of the lives that we've lived and even living now, it's not about reaching a standard to be accepted by God. But it's acknowledging that we will never reach that standard and that Jesus Christ was the bridge. So, just two real quick take-homes. One, let's be grateful. Firstly, grateful to God for accepting us and sending his son to die on the cross for us. Secondly, let's be grateful to church leadership who God entrusts these decisions. Be grateful. And secondly, don't be hypocritical. Let's not put barriers on when people want to meet God. Let's not stand in the way of the work that God is doing, especially in our non-churched and our non-believing friends. Let's not put unholy burdens on them when even God is not doing that. But let's see God. Let's see what He's doing and celebrate with the angels when new believers come back to the Father. Let's pray.